to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I have two articles that I wanted to read here. I'm not going to cover anything jab-related. Um, no K-12 news as of now that, I, that I'm wanting to cover, per se. But uh, I have two particular historically interesting topics uh, here, or one topic, I, sh I should say, but uh, across the course of two separate articles. I got to thinking, of course, given the fact that Thanksgiving is tomorrow, what do we know exactly about the children who were pilgrims or the children who were of the Mayflower? So this first article I want to read sort of highlights some of those nuances and specifics regarding the children of the Mayflower. And this comes from the Mayflower Society. So I'm going to read this first and then read some of the um, descriptive details, as it were, from another article describing how the children of the Pilgrim Age were raised and what they did for education and things of that nature. So here we go. Again, titled Children of the Mayflower, it says, Among the 102 passengers aboard the Mayflower that arrived in the New World were approximately 30 children. Ne nearly 30% of the passengers were under the age of 18. The colony was unique in this aspect. Jamestown Colony in Virginia was settled by men who were following the economic pursuit. Plymouth Colony was settled by families with the intention of establishing a community to live in permanently. The Mayflower children were accustomed to hard labor, as many of them had worked in Leiden and helped to provide for the family. Additionally, several teens joined the voyage as servants or indentured servants. These passengers were typically included in families but were not yet legal adults. Below is a list of the children that boarded the Mayflower, and their approximate ages are shown in parentheses. Names shown in bold and old caps are those known to have descendants. So it's approximately, I'm not going to read through all their names, but it's approximately 31 of them, and I would say roughly half have descendants, and one of them was an infant. Another one, uh, Oceanus Hopkins, was born at sea. And then another one, Samuel Eaton, was age one. Humility Cooper was aged one. And the rest were as uh, old as age 18, it says. It continues, it says, quote, Teens brought as servants and typically listed with Plymouth families included William Button, a servant to Samuel Fuller, John Hook, an apprentice to Isaac Allerton family, but who died the first winter, and William Latham, who came with the John Carver family. It continues, it says, The more children, Ellen, Jasper, Mary, and Richard, were a part of a very sad story. They were the children of Samuel and Catherine Moore of Shropshire, England. If I'm saying that right, probably not. Um, their father, Samuel, had married Catherine Moore, a third cousin, to keep an estate and wealth in the family. When Samuel Moore discovered his wife was having an affair with Jacob Blakely, who had fathered some, if not all, of the Moore children, he divorced Catherine and had the children administer, administrated by John Carver and Robert Cushman, who brought them to the New World. 
Carver and Cushman placed the children in various families. Alan Moore was placed with Mr. Edward Winslow and his wife Elizabeth. Jasper Moore was placed with John Carver and his wife Catherine. Mary Moore and Richard Moore were placed with William Brewster and his wife Mary. Only Richard Moore survived the first winter and grew to adulthood in New England and produced descendants. That first winter of 1620 to 1621 brought the great sickness, quote-unquote, to the colony and 50% of the passengers died. The children, as a group, fared best with only five children dying, servant John Hook, Ellen Jasper, and Mary Moore, and the Tinker family's infant son. Twenty-five children survived, meaning a full half of the remaining colony was under 18 years old. Several explanations are possible. The children may have had a more robust physical constitution than the adults of the colony. Another theory is that the children may have been fed and cared for by mothers who denied themselves food portions in favor of their children. Though no proof exists to support this, the mothers fared the most poorly, with only four surviving the first year. Eleanor Billington, Mary Brewster, Elizabeth Hopkins, and Susanna White. However, a new problem emerged. 30% of the colony's children were either orphaned or abandoned in the New World. The caring of these orphans is one of the great untold stories of life in the first year of the colony. The following nine orphaned or abandoned children were taken in by pilgrim families during a time when food and resources were scarce. Mary Chilton, John Crackstone, Samuel Fuller, Richard Moore, Priscilla Mullins, Joseph Rogers, Henry Sampson, Elizabeth Tilly, and Humility Cooper. It has been suggested that the health of these children ultimately increased the chances of survival of the entire struggling colony and helped to ensure their future. It also made a colony whose future leaders had been there since the establishment, including its governance, values, and ethics. Now, this next article was written by Mary Ann Johnson, who apparently goes by the homeschool coach. And this was written approximately 10 years ago. But I want to give this a read, too, because, again, it gives us an insight as to how pilgrim children were raised, the family structure, and the entire dynamic. So it's titled, Life of the Pilgrim Children in Plymouth. It says, quote, What was it like to be a child in Plymouth in the 1600s? It was very different in many ways from the life of a child today. No kidding. Pilgrim family system in 1600s. Fathers were the head of the household and they were expected to maintain their authority and not let any of it be usurped by wife, children, or servants. Mothers were first and foremost required to be fully submissive to their husbands. She was to be mild, obedient, and courteous. She was to dress and behave modestly and to speak with meekness. Mothers, however, was second in command in the household and commanded the children and servants. Children usually had many siblings. Families with eight or ten children were not uncommon. The people wore black and white on Sundays or special occasions. They usually wore earthly tones such as greens, browns, maroon, and darker colors during the week. A Pilgrim Baby's Life Babies slept in wooden and wicker cradles. 
the cradle of the peregrine white, the first child of Plymouth, is one of the authentic surviving artifacts from the Mayflower. After a few months, a child would be moved with a sibling to a trundle bed. Boy and girl babies wore the same clothing throughout most of their early childhood, a smock, until the age of eight. As the child was learning to walk, he was placed in a go-kart standing stool. These walkers helped babies with their first steps, but could only travel back and forth. Parents were very eager and nearly forceful to make the child walk. They believed that when the child was on all fours, he was too close to the animal kingdom. Parents were diligent in training a child to walk as soon as possible. Values Taught to Pilgrim Children It says, quote, Adults believed that children were to be humble and submissive. They believed that children were born with a sinful nature that must be broken. Parents and other adults began to break the child's will, quote-unquote, beginning somewhere around the age of one or two. In childhood, strict lessons on behavior and courtesy were taught. The biblical commandment of honor thy father and mother was taken very seriously. Children were admonished to have the utmost respect for their parents in the presence of other adults. While eating, the children could not sit down. During a meal, children were not allowed to speak. Children were expected to both love and fear their parents, to be obedient in all things, to be submissive equally to mother and father, and to speak in a restrained and proper manner. Pilgrim parents did not spare the rod, quote-unquote, and corporal punishment was considered necessary for the proper upbringing of children. We're missing that today, are we not? Um, it continues, early educational life of pilgrim children. Formal education was not available for every child in colonial New England, for the children did not attend school. It was a very different, it was very different from today. They went to school after early morning work was completed. The Puritans thought that learning was very important. They believed that the devil tricked people into keeping them in ignorance. Education was a tool to fight the temptations of evil. I agree. Continues. The dame school was common during early colonial days. A woman, usually a widow, would gather a few children in her house to teach them reading and some writing while she continued to complete her daily household work. In the one-room school, there were no blackboards, maps, or globes. Lead pencils were not introduced until 1761. Children wrote with a feather pen using ink made from walnut oil. Every child was expected to bring a log to keep a fire burning. The log was a way of paying the, the teacher for the, her services and also to keep the classroom warm. Paper was also scarce that students learned their fundamental skills by using a horn book. The hornbook was a wooden paddle with a piece of paper tacked to it. The paper contained the alphabet, simple combinations of vowels and consonants, and a prayer. A thin layer of cow horn protected the paper. Students traced over the letters with a sharp stick until they memorized each letter. After the student mastered the hornbook, they moved on to the New England primer. It was used throughout New England for over 100 years. The book began with the alphabet. The letters were illustrated with a biblical reference. The letters and pages were filled with biblical advice 
to help children lead a virtuous life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the horn book, rather, the, uh, my apologies, it was the New England Primer, of course, that was modeled, um, well, it's the McGuffey Reader that was modeled after the New England Primer. It's set up the exact same way. Alphabet at the beginning, biblical pictures or pictures of animals or objects to go along with the letters and the simple one to two to three letter words. And then, of course, stories, very short stories throughout with biblical overtones and lessons in them. That's why using the McGuffey Readers is the quickest rate way to read for anyone, including adults who are illiterate. They should read the McGuffey Readers, and it's, again, the fastest way to not only read, but teach yourself how to read. It continues, The schoolmasters were very strict disciplinarians. When the teacher entered the room, all of the children were to stand up. His authority was never questioned. He disciplined the children freely in various ways. Children were whipped with hickory or willow branches. The teacher often used forms of humiliation. They were forced to wear a card that stated their crime. A boy who did not complete his math assignments was labeled as an idler. A girl that turned around to talk to a child behind her was called a pert moss prat apace. Interesting. Continues. Life of pilgrim children after eight. After age eight, it was not uncommon for a child to be placed in the foster care of another family. There were a number of reasons for a child to be put out in this manner, quote-unquote. Some children were placed into households to learn a trade. Others were to be taught to read and write. It seems that there was, as with almost every decision in the colony, a theological reason for fostering children. It was assumed that a child's own parents would love them too much and would not properly discipline them. By placing a child in the care of another family, there was little danger of a child be being spoiled. Children were expected to follow in their parents' footsteps. Children usually left school once they were able to read, write, and do basic math. God, I wish that were the case today. It continues. Sorry for my little uh, comments here along the way. At that time, many left to become apprentices. The apprenticeship lasted about four to five years, but could, but could last until age 21. The master was responsible for teaching a trade. Boys learned to be blacksmiths, printers, shoemakers, or cabinet makers. Girls learned trades like weaving and dressmaking. A few young men were able to continue on to higher education. A man was thought to be an was thought to be educated if he had a knowledge of Latin and maybe Greek. Boys were required to recite long passages even if they had no idea of the meaning. The study of these languages was seen as improper for girls. Historians aren't sure how often children in Plymouth played. One thing is for certain, though, they played a lot less than most children do today. Children in Plymouth Colony worked hard. They began working as early as age four or five. They worked in the cornfields, cooked, fetched water, took care of the animals, and watched younger children. Small children helped by weeding flax plants. The work of girls was closely related to the home and the work of her mother. Girls learned to sew, knead bread, and assist in the child care of younger siblings. Boys worked mostly outdoors by way of caring for animals and crops. 
Boys also use jackknives to carve wood into spoons, bowls, and breadboards. Even though they worked hard, children probably were allowed to play a little every day. Many pilgrim parents thought that this was fine for children to play games as a way of resting from work, as long as the children weren't playing instead of working. They thought that the best kind of games and sport for children were those that exercised their bodies, like running races, or their minds, like droughts, which is like chess or checkers, basically. Uh, it continues, they also liked children to play games in which they practiced skills that they would need later in life, like playing house or playing with dolls. But they didn't like their children to play games that involved luck because that was too much like gambling. Common games pilgrim children played. In England, before they sailed to America, pilgrim children played knots and crosses, droughts, all hid uh, Luminlen, if I'm saying that right, no way I am, or Hopfrog. Have you ever played these games? I'll bet you have. Knots and Crosses is Tic-Tac-Toe, and Droughts is Checkers. Can you guess what all the hidden Hopfrog are? They're all Hide-and-Seek and Leapfrog. What about Luminlen, if I'm saying that right again, which I'm probably not? That's Keep Away. Next time you play one of these games, stop and think how amazing it is that you're playing the same game that children played 400 years ago. Children might also have played word games like gliffles. Gliffles are tongue twisters. Here's one from the 1600s, and this one is jacked up, so bear with me. It says, quote, Dick drunk drink in a dish. Where's the dish dick drunk drink in? Unquote. Riddles were popular too. Blowing bubbles was also a popular pastime for children. Children might even have played with toys like stilts, pinwheels, tops, hoops, kites, and marbles. And there you go. Unquote. Certainly a different time. Certainly a more disciplined time. And frankly, after reading that and thinking about that, I certainly think all the more reason to raise them right. All the more reason to raise them strong, raise them tough. Teach them how to read. Teach them how to be strong. And that right there is going to be a citizen for the future. No doubt about it. With that said, everybody, have a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, certainly keep your ear to the ground. Continue to pay attention to what's going on here this week just because... A lot of people are on vacation or taking a break from work doesn't mean that uh, the bad guys still don't have plans. They certainly do have plans. And I'll continue with the um, the war videos on my BitChute channel probably throughout the entire week and the weekend as well. So other than that, have a great restful time. I hope you do. And uh, take some time out for yourself as an individual and find some solitude as well as an individual. It's super, super important, and that's putting it mildly. With all of that said, God bless, and I'll catch you on Monday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care, and God bless. <laughs>